You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Hear the word of the Lord. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You, you tell us the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Therefore, we can run to your word with great confidence that regardless of what season, what age we are in, there is a firm foundation there for us to plant our feet, Lord. Would your spirit be at work now, working through my mind, speaking through my vocal cords, Lord, giving me the words that I need uh, that, that you would that you would build up your church in love today, that you would help us to grow and take strides forward as we as a body of believers are being sanctified, moving from one degree of glory to the next. Lord, as you're at work in me, would you also be at work in the hearers? Would you open up their ears to hear you? that their hearts would be soft to receive the truth of the gospel. And Lord, would you equip us and, and send us out with hands prepared to do every good work which you have placed before us, that you have planned before us before the foundations of the earth. Lord, would you use this time to, to magnify your name? Would you help, help us, in the, the eyes of faith swell uh, in seeing the glory of Christ our Lord and Savior? And would you make us eager disciples who, who are eager to follow you in, in everything that you've laid out before us? We ask this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, I, I wanna first thank you for being here. I know the snow scares a lot of people away. That, that first snow, you know, I used used to be, I heard some friends that said, you know, that first snow, we just take a family, we just call it a family snow day, and we just all just kind of call in sick from work and hang out. But we can't do that. It's the Lord's day, so we come together and we give God the praise and the worship. And I think, you know, like when, when, when Paul says in Romans that in Christ we are more than conquerors, I think that there's an application here of conquering the snow. So good for you in conquering the snow. Grateful for this. But today is, is the eighth and final week of a sermon series that we have been in called Cultivate. And, and the intent of this sermon series was to take a break from our normal patterns. We were going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of John, and we sensed an opportunity here to lean into something that the Lord was putting on our hearts as elders, uh, to, to really lean into our, our, our identity as disciples, of followers of Jesus Christ, to help sort of reinvigorate the discipleship culture that God has built here. And so we've been taking time to, uh, to look at various aspects of an environment that is conducive to making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. When we started out the sermon series, we began with the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, and this is really the end of Jesus' earthly ministry before he goes to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He gives his disciples this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So we started there, 
And that's our series right there by looking at the end of, uh, of Jesus' ministry. Today, we're going to finish the series by looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus calls his first disciples to follow him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And in fact, the, the verse that I really want to put my finger on today, that, that really this whole thing revolves around, is verse 19. When Jesus says to these men, these four men, he's got Simon, who's Peter, Andrew, his brother. He's got James and John, another set of brothers. He says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I think seeing the end of Jesus' ministry, this call to go and make disciples of the nation, and to see this call here, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, it's very clear from the outset of Jesus' ministry that he had a vision of not just calling one group of people to him, but seeing this network of disciples, of disciple-making disciples, or in other words, Jesus had a vision for disciple-making culture. And in verse 19, one of the things that we need to see here that is Jesus is speaking both directly to Peter, to Andrew, to James, and John, but at the same time he speaks directly to them, specifically to them, he is speaking past them to us, to every single Christian, to everyone who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, what we need to see first is as Jesus is speaking directly to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he is calling them not just to be his disciples, but calling them to a dignified office as capital A apostles, right? The, 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 the men who would be with Jesus throughout his entire ministry, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, would, who would play a specific and special role in advancing the gospel or helping the church to grow wide, in that first century. So Jesus is calling these men who are four of the 12 who would come and be apostles and advance the church. Now, one of the things that we see as we read um, Colossians chapter one is, is the apostle Paul, uh, one who is untimely born, and we can get into the apostleship of Paul later, but that's not the main point here. But, but Paul says the gospel, because of these apostles, because of this, these disciples of Jesus, the gospel is going out into the world and in everywhere it is bearing fruit and is increasing. You see this idea that through the apostles, Jesus is taking his gospel message and he's growing the church wide across the Western world. Now, at the same time, Jesus is specifically talking to these men and calling them as apostles. Jesus is also speaking past them to us, to every Christian. Though we are not called to the office of apostles as these men were, we are called in the same pattern of the apostles. And that pattern here we see that is to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus says, follow follow me, follow Jesus, I will make you be transformed, make you fishers of men, that I will use you to advance my mission in the world. So the same pattern that the apostles have here to follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and then to be on Jesus's mission applies to every single Christian. Now, one of the things as we come to this, this phrase, fishers of men, is I think as modern readers, it's kind of unique. It's strange to us to, to think of fishers of men. Um, but, but to Jesus, these four men that Jesus is speaking to, this makes total sense because these guys by trade were fishermen. 
They, they had early mornings out on the seas, um, mending nets. We see them mending nets, throwing them out, trying to catch that fish um, so that they can pay their bills, feed their family, and take care of business. And so they have this desire as fishermen that they, they want to go out, cast those nets, and they want for these nets to be filled. Now, what Jesus, he's, he's taking their language and flipping it a little bit, and he's telling them, instead of catching fish, I am going to use you to catch men. Instead of ca- casting literal nets of rope. You are going to cast the gospel message everywhere you go. You're going to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there's salvation only found in the name of Christ. And God is going to use that, that proclamation, that ministry, to draw people to himself. God is telling them, instead of your, your typical vocation, I am going to call you into a new work, a new vocation, and I am going to use your efforts to help win souls, to bring new people into the covenant family of God, to create new converts who then also will follow the same pattern of the apostles, to follow me, and Jesus will transform them and make them fishers of men. So so as we see this, just, just this... Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and we see that, that those who are fished out will also follow Jesus and, and, and be made fishers of men. You see that there's this perpetual, ongoing cycle here that Jesus establishes. Follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and go fishing for men. Now, when we see this perpetual pattern in the church, it means that mission and evangelism is a pillar of the discipleship culture that if we as a church want to have a healthy and robust culture where we are making disciples, it means that we will have an emphasis, we will have a heart for mission and evangelism. Now, a lot of times when people think about mission and evangelism, we tend to think about it as a program or event or it's something that goes on overseas, and there are certainly aspects of that. There are times where we're going to have an outreach event. Great, fantastic. We're going to go on a prayer walk. Great, fantastic. We're going to send a missionary to Kenya. In fact, we've got, we've got on the ground, we've got people in Kenya that are doing ministry work. They're, they're doing mission work there. But if we reduce the idea of evangelism and mission down to an event or a program, we will totally miss out on the lifestyle that Jesus is calling us into. We miss out on, because right here, what, what Jesus is saying to Peter, Andrew, James, and John is, you had a lifestyle of fishing for fish, and now the new lifestyle I'm giving you is to fish for men. And so what Jesus is calling us into is a lifestyle of living as missionaries. We talk about this in terms of of our gospel identities here at Sacred City. We talk about uh, family, missionaries, servants, and learners. We are into his wonderful light. We too are being sent out into the world to proclaim the excellencies of Christ that others would hear and believe and come to know Christ as Lord. So here is this lifestyle that Jesus is laying out that we are called to live as missionaries. In the same way that fishing was a lifestyle for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, where they day in and day out were setting lines, casting net, taking care of business, going out to sea, 
praying that the Lord would provide a hall, whether it's big or small, we too have that same mentality that we go out into the world as missionaries, praying that the Lord would fill our nets. Now, one thing that I realize as we talk, Jesus uses this fishing language. One thing that I realize is that there are many people who dislike fishing. There are a lot of people who like fishing, but there are also many people who dislike fishing. And I don't think it's because of the sliminess of the fish or having to put worms on the hook, or I don't think that's really the main thing. I think what it really boils down to is that there's no guarantee of catching something. When you go fishing, when you sit up on the bank, when you go out on the boat, when you cast that line out, there is no guarantee that something's gonna be on that other line, at the end of the line. It's possible for you to sit out there all day. It's possible for you to have all the right lures. It's possible for you to have the best nets, yet come up with nothing. And, and that feeling, you, you go out there, you spend the half a day there, a couple hours there, that feeling is such a letdown. Because you're hoping, I hope I come back with supper tonight, right? I hope I come back with something to show, at least a photo. And so when you get nothing, it is very much a bummer. And so there's a lot of people who don't like fishing because of that bummer. And the quiet, quietness of being out in nature, the scenic view of being up on the water isn't enough to offset that disappointment. And so I realized that there's some people who don't like fishing. Now, I think the same is true when it comes to fishing for men. I think the same mentality is at work here in the church when it comes to mission, to, to being evangelists and proclaiming what Jesus has done. Because there is this, it could be possible that for years you evangelize to a person. For years, you're on mission to your neighbor. For years, you're on mission to your coworker or your boss, and you're sharing the gospel. You're, you're being salt and light. You're telling them of the things that Jesus has done. You're applying different techniques. You're using different lures, right, to use that illustration. And you still get nothing. No matter how much you cast that line out there, no matter how often you throw out that net, it feels like you're coming up empty. And so I think because that is a possibility, because the empty net is a possibility, I think a lot of Christians avoid that disappointment by not evangelizing at all. Like, you, you can't be disappointed if you don't try, right? That sort of mentality. You think of mission, you think of evangelism, you think of living as a missionary as a waste of time, because maybe, maybe it's been true in your own story, where you've tried and you didn't come up with anything. That, that, you, that you start to tell yourself, well, it's just the people don't want to be caught, that the fish don't want to bite. All kinds of excuses, all kinds of justifications for why people don't step into this calling to be fishers of men as Jesus has placed on every single disciple. And what I want to lay before you this morning is that if that cancerous attitude of mission, missional pessimism, we'll call that, Missional pessimism. If, if missional pessimism is prevalent in the church, then our discipleship culture will weaken. The pillar, the pillar of a healthy discipleship culture will start to crumble, and what happens is the church begins to die. As soon as the church takes its eyes off of the mission, off of reaching the lost, off of proclaiming the works of Christ, the church gradually starts dying away. One of the things that God has ordained, one of the things that naturally happens 
is that when new people come to faith, when new people, for the first time, their eyes are opened and they see the glory of the Lord, they know that their sins have been forgiven, that Christ has paid it all, he's paid the ransom, their guilt is dealt with, their shame is dealt with, the insecurities, that am I good with God or am I not? You have a, a sure foundation to build your life on. What happens when people come to discover that for the first time is that they have this excitement and that excitement for Jesus injects life into the church. Now, you know exactly what I've talk, I'm talking about if you've been in missional community and you've had someone recently come to faith. They, they come, there's an excitement that they have. They've got all kinds of questions. They're eager to learn. They're ready to grow. This whole thing's new to them. It's all exciting. And so having people who are new to faith, new converts, oftentimes injects life in the church. It's the same thing as as catching that big 13-pound bass, right? You cast that baby, you've been out there for all summer long. I, listen, I've taken my kids fishing at least 20 times this summer, and I have not caught a darn thing. But when I've caught in the past that one big fish, it's enough for me to keep going through. It's enough for me to keep pressing through those 20 opportunities where I miss totally, except for bluegill. They don't count. I've caught plenty of bluegill, but no, no big bass. But when you've... When you've when you have that catch, when you see that thing come in, it's exciting. It brings an excitement. It brings joy. It, there's, there's newfound life in Christ that's contagious, and it serves as a jolt for the church. It, it's a huge encouragement, and it tells us even when we're not catching as much as we want to, to keep going because those fish are out there. There are people who are hungry, that are biting, that are eager to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the other thing is that as new people come to the church, as new people come to faith, they have, they have different pockets in the city that now, it's like finding a new fishing hole, okay? It's like they have a place where now they can go and fish, where they can go and proclaim the works of Christ so other people are gonna believe. And this is how the gospel spreads wide throughout the church. Now, this is a really long introduction. I promise my introduction is longer than my actual sermon. But I think the whole point I think, I think one of the things that verse 19 does is it serves as an antidote to missional pessimism. When we understand not just that we're called to be fishers of men, but the whole scope of it, when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I think having your mind wrapped around that is the antidote to missional pessimism. Now, it does not guarantee that every time you throw out the line, every time you put out a net, it does not guarantee that you're gonna catch something. It doesn't mean that every time you share the gospel, there's just going to be an instantaneous response. Unfortunately, I mean, that would be great, but that's just not how God works. Right? That's not God's design for mission. And if it were God's design for mission, just think how little our prayer and faith life would be. Do you understand how, how much faith it requires to go and to, to, to proclaim, to pray, how much prayer dependence upon God to do this work, to change the, the hearts of man, the, the work that only God can do. If it was an easy one-for-one one, every time I go and say, it's like our faith would suffer, our prayer life would suffer. But God in his mercy and in his wise design makes it so it's not always like that. Rather, instead of making this guarantee of, of every time you cast, rather, verse 19 reminds us first of who it is who has sent us out to fish for men. The first thing 
that Jesus says to these four men is, follow me. Speaking to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he says, follow me. And we see in verse 20 and 22, when they hear that call, when Jesus says, follow me, they do so immediately. Now, one of the things that we need to realize right here, one of the things that we need to get our minds around in this moment is that when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, it, it wasn't a request. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, listen, you know, I know you've probably got a lot of stuff going on and, and you're really busy and this fishing business is really taking off. And so I'm, you know, if you want to, I guess maybe you could, you know, think about it, at least pray about it and maybe come follow me, maybe. No, Jesus, Jesus isn't making a request. Jesus is commanding them. He's saying, follow me. In the same way, when, when Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has died, he's been put in a tomb, and Jesus says, come out, Lazarus, come out. Jesus isn't making a request. It's going to happen. So when Jesus says something, he commands it, it's going to happen. Jesus commands these men. Now, when we think of, of Following Jesus, we oftentimes, and, and this is not wrong, um, when we think of following Jesus, we think that, what, what's that entail? Well, it means that I'm going to imitate Jesus. I'm going to follow in his way of life. I'm going to, to imitate him spiritually. I'm going to imitate him relationally, emotionally, morally, all of these very, various aspects. I am going to imitate Jesus. Now, that certainly is the case. That's what discipleship is, is imitating Jesus in all of these things. Now, this means that there is a departure for us, that when we're called by Jesus, there is a departure from the old way of life, that before we came to faith, we were, it says in Ephesians that we were children of wrath, that, that we, were, we were subjected to the powers and the principalities, that we were just following along with the way of the world. But Jesus here, by his call, by his effectual call, he calls us out of that old way and into a new way of following him. Now, this, this call of Jesus that he places on us to follow him in every regard is not always easy for us. It's true that Jesus now places in us new desires, that we would desire to follow Jesus, that we would walk in his ways, but at the same time, we, we have this rivalry in the soul. We have this new heart that God has placed in us, the new man that is eager to obey, but we have this, the remnant of the old man, which is why in places like Colossians 3 and later on in Ephesians, that we're told to put to death that which is earthly within us, to put the old man to death. So there's this rivalry that happens which makes it not always easy for us to imitate Jesus in all things. So, so there is the reality of that as walking with Jesus, following Jesus. It's not a, an easy path. And in fact, Jesus doesn't market it as that. But here's, here's one thing that we might be missing here just looking at this text. When Jesus, like all that applies for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all of that is very much true. But there's an additional sense of following Jesus that, that maybe is, carries a greater weight. Because when Jesus tells them to follow him, he's saying, literally, leave your family. Leave your nets. Leave your livelihood. Leave the comfort of your home and come follow me. And for three years, these men did just that. They left what they had to go follow Jesus from town to town, watching him do his ministry. Now, this, this call to literally 
leave behind everything does not apply to every Christian. In fact, one of the ways that God works is he, take, he calls us out of darkness and where we are, the workplace, your neighborhood, the gym, wherever God has you, he uses that as a place to get your foot in the door for more missional work. See, Jesus doesn't, when you get called to Christ, it doesn't mean that you totally leave everything behind, that your old life is cut off dead, that, that you no longer have any of those connections. No, Jesus uses that. Jesus oftentimes leaves you in the place where you work, your livelihood, in your neighborhood, so that you would be there as a beacon of light to those people. And while we don't necessarily leave the life, we don't leave the, the livelihood where we live, our rhythms, we leave behind the old ways of the flesh. Now, me, and they do it immediately, who has that kind of command? Who, who has that magnetic pull where, where these men would just willingly, quickly, give up everything they have to follow Jesus? See, only Jesus has that kind of pull. Only Jesus has that kind of gravitas. Only the Lord Almighty, the King of glory, the one who has all power, all authority in heaven and earth, that's the only one who can command like that. And here's the thing that we have to realize. This, this, this helps us as we step out as fishers of men. If Jesus can command, command these men to follow him immediately, and, and they do it immediately, Jesus can also cause these fish to jump in the net at any given moment. If Jesus has that kind of power, that kind of authority, in fact, we see this in Luke chapter five, where, where Luke gives the account of the, the calling of the first disciples. Jesus, they were fishing all day, they were thrown over on this side of the boat, and Jesus said, listen, all you gotta do is throw on the other side, and they, they pull in this hole. Now, like Jesus commands the fish to get in the net. See, if Jesus has the power to command us to follow him and it comes, so too does Jesus have the power and the authority to command people to come and follow him to, for the nets to fill up. But one of the things that we need to see here is that this isn't merely a flex of Jesus' authority. I mean, Jesus has the authority to command men like this, to command women like this. So it's not just a flex of his authority. What this does is it displays the overwhelming value of Christ's glory. See, when Jesus is calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he is calling them to something far more glorious than what they were doing before. See, fishing, fishing as a career, it's a, it's a good job. I mean, it pays the bills. You're providing for people in a way that, that feeds them, that gives them sustenance. But Jesus goes beyond that. It's like, yeah, you go fishing and you'll give people a meal, but I'm calling you to catch a man so that you would change his entire life, that you would change the trajectory of his eternal life. That Jesus here, in calling them to follow him, he's giving them a more glorious calling than ever before because they get to participate in God's redemptive work. That there is this glory of fishing for men that surpasses fishing for fish. And one of the things that we often forget is how, listen, and, and I'm guilty of this, I'll, I'll stand up here and confess my sin to you all day, how glorious it is to be called and to participate in God's work of redemption. How amazing it is. Like, I, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. And God 
called me, even if I wasn't doing pastoral ministry, God called me, and this is true for everybody, called us in to participate in the work of redeeming the whole cosmos, one soul at a time. See, God is so gracious to, to not only save us, to work in our hearts, to work in our lives, but to give us a front row seat to see his redeeming love at work in the hearts of others in real time. Like, like you don't understand how spectacular this is, the miracle of this, this, this wonderful mystery, the wondrous mystery that we sing about. And oftentimes when we forget this, we just settle into rhythms like punching the clock, going, going to work, getting the job done, you know, um, ignoring my neighbor so I can get my yard work done, you know, putting my head down, putting my earbuds in so I can go work out at the gym and just get that done. And what we do when we do this is we miss these opportunities that God has placed before us to, to, to know people, to share the gospel with them in a way that will captivate them where they see the glory of Christ. Where, where we get to, like, we, listen, we don't save people, but by proclaiming what Jesus has done, we get to play a role escorting people into the kingdom of God. We begin taking these missional opportunities that God provides for us, when we see how loaded these opportunities are, are with glory and with joy. Like when we see that God can take a rundown, beat up sinner, somebody who has hearts broken, their, their life is falling apart, and take them and, and day by day renew them and restore them and set them on a trajectory of glory. Or where God can take somebody who's downcast, full of sorrow, brokenhearted, and Jesus can lift their spirits, give them a joy that passes all under, uh, surpasses all understanding. When we understand the potential there is here for God to, to step in and change people's life, to bring all kinds of joy and blessing and gladness, and, and that, that God is so kind to allow us to witness those things, which oftentimes spurs our faith, If we don't see those blessings, we're gonna miss those opportunities. If we don't see that God is at work restoring and reordering lives, that God is taking households and transforming them, marriages that were broken and falling apart, and God, by his grace through the gospel, is bringing people back together where generational sin, the sin of the forefathers, is broken where addiction is conquered, where we're in a place of despair. Now, there is hope and there is life in Jesus' name. See, there is something spectacular that God is doing. And too often we don't see that or we take it for granted. When we see what God is up to, that, that excites us, that, that pulls us into this work. And a lot of times you don't realize this is the ripple effect of what mission has. Like how God can take one person like one person sharing the gospel with one other person and, and changing an entire household, changing an entire generation, generations upon generation upon generation. All because the gospel was shared. Now, I think a lot of people, like I lay all that out and say, yeah, that totally, that sounds awesome, that sounds exciting. I wanna do that. I wanna be a missionary. I wanna be an evangelist, but I just don't know how. And we might say, listen, I don't have, I'm introverted. I don't have the personality to be an evangelist. Or I don't know the right words or I'm not eloquent with my speech. Now, if that's where you're caught up right now, then, then you need to be reminded 
of the second part of verse 19 that says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. Listen, Jesus didn't call you to himself because you could already fish for men. Jesus didn't say, okay, that one, I like him. He's got charisma. He's, got, he's an extrovert. He's got that, that thing that works. He's gonna be really good at fishing for men, so I choose him. No, no, no. Jesus didn't, didn't choose anybody based on any predisposition, any merit, any sort of natural tendencies. It was because of his loving kindness that he chose people. And those he chose, Jesus makes them. Jesus transforms us into fishers of men. So this is what we need to see. Jesus is making you a fisher of men. Jesus is making you into a missionary. Now, this might require a little legwork on your end. If you have a natural disposition to be introverted, to kind of stay away from people, it's like, well, maybe, maybe you need a, there's some rhythms that need to change in your life. I'm not saying totally abandon the things that you love, okay? But, but what does it mean to be a missionary as an introvert? or as a video game person, or as a, a board game person, or as a sports guy, or as whatever it is, what does it look like to take that thing and now to do it as a missionary? Now, some help might be needed here where you need to seek out and develop a missional skill set. You, you might need to, to do some reading on how to engage with unbelievers. What, what are some, some strategies? What sort of apologetic questions to share the gospel with Jesus and, and to answer the questions they might have? So we may need to do some of those things, but here's the thing. At the heart of our transformation, Jesus is stirring up within us a desire to be missionaries. Jesus is, is stirring up within us a desire to be fishers of men, to see people come to faith, to come to know Jesus, to see the church grow deep and wide. And the more that we revel in the loving kindness of our God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the more our desire for mission swells within us. The more that we experience the grace and love of Jesus, the more we want that for other people as well. And it propels us to go out and to speak of what Jesus has done, to show, to demonstrate what Jesus is like. And in this, the more we fixate on the gospel, the more we're reminded that Jesus is the great fisherman. Like, like G the Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they, it was a big deal for them to leave everything behind. Jesus left behind heaven to come and to save sinners like us. So when Jesus says, come and follow me, that, that's what we do. We follow him as a fisher of men. And the more we see the gospel, the more we see what Jesus has done for us, our, our selfish fears of not catching fish, our selfish fears of feeling awkward or, or, or feeling like I, I'm an outsider or pushed out, all of those things dissipate because our desire to see people come to Jesus surpasses those fears. Now, as we think of what Jesus has done in our life, because I, I, I know that there are some of you who are like that, that, I mean, I can list off probably like a dozen stories in my head right now of people who came to faith that are like, I never want to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to a stranger. I don't want to talk to anybody about Jesus. And, and yet Jesus has worked in a way that now some of the best missionaries, some of the best evangelists in our church at one time didn't want anything to do with talking about Jesus. And now Jesus has worked that up in them. Now, when we think of what Jesus has done in in their lives and our lives, this ought to boost our confidence for mission. 
See, if Jesus took a, a silly fool like me and has changed my life, brought transformation through the power of his grace, he can do it for them too. If Jesus can fish me out of my sin, out of misery, out of death, he can do it for them too. And so that helps us to look at mission optimistically. If Jesus can do it, if he has the power, the authority, that he's, that the invitation to be part of God's work, that, that ought to fill us with hope, make us eager to go out and be missionaries, to, to go to the places where there are people who need to hear the gospel. And I would, I would bet that you're already in some of those places, where you work, your neighborhood, your friend circle, your gym, There are people there who need to hear about Jesus. And so to to take those opportunities to be where the fish are, always casting those gospels, looking for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And here's what I know. People naturally talk about what they love. People do. What you love, you're natural, it's naturally gonna roll out of your mouth. You're gonna find yourself thinking about it. You're gonna find yourself talking about it. You're gonna find yourself dreaming about it, right? You, you go to a new restaurant, it's like you're telling all your friends, this is the spot, guys. We got to go. This is great, okay? It's just how it goes. If we look at the cross, if we look at, at Jesus who set aside glory to come down to earth, to be among us, to put on flesh so that flesh could be crucified and hung to a tree, if, if this Jesus who came and died on a tree to, to pull us out of the miry bog of death and to give us new life, if he did this, if he, if he gave us a new joy, a new heart, a new life, if we see the love of God that now moves us to love, shouldn't we be just like our lips just spewing out the goodness of our God? And as we talk about Jesus We pray that the Lord would fill the nets. We we pray that Jesus would, as the mission of God advances through the church, that he would build up the church both deep and wide. That, That we would see the people who are already here be discipled while new people are coming to faith. New people are finding hope in Christ, joy in Christ, the love that their hearts are longing for in Christ. It's this missional attitude, this desire to see new people come to faith that is at the heart of a discipleship culture. It's at the heart of it. And I wanna know, church, are we hungry? Do we desire to have full nets in the same way that your average fisherman does? Do we really desire, long for God to fill up our nets, to use our missionary work to bring new people in? Are we praying for the Lord to bring the growth? Are we praying for the Lord to bring conversions? And as you pray, what else are you doing about it? Are you, are you inviting people to come with you to church? Are you, are you inviting people, hey, we should read the Bible together. Would you be interested in reading the Bible together? Inviting people to the missional community, inviting, inviting guys to come hang out or, or ladies on shopping trips or grocery runs or whatever it is, having these opportunities where we're living like missionaries so that those opportunities that the Lord provides for us, we would take them more and deliver the good news of the gospel. That we would constantly be speaking of Christ, of what he has done because God has changed us from death to life.
See, Jesus, guys, there are fish out there. There are fish out there that belong to Jesus. And Jesus called us to go be fishers of men that he wants us to be involved in bringing people to himself. So let us, as as disciple-minded people, as disciple-making-minded people, to go out there, to proclaim the work of the Lord and the hope that is in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you take ordinary, I mean, when you called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these guys were, I mean, these guys weren't anything special. They were just working-class fishermen, Yet you took those men and you transformed them through the power of your grace and you worked through them in such a way that the whole earth got turned upside down. That you changed the trajectory of human history and Lord, you have not stopped working to those ends of making your gospel known, of bringing people to yourself. And so I pray, Lord, that you would spur this church on with a heart for mission, with a desire to make Jesus known. to to go out in this world as fishers of men, knowing that you are the one who called us into the work, that you have all authority, that you are the one who can pull the fish in. It's not our job. It's not our job. It's not our job to get the fish to bite the hook. That's your job, Lord. Our job is to be faithful in the proclamation. Would you bless our proclamation, bless bless the life of missional living so that more people would come to know you and the church like it did Uh, in in the first century as it takes over the world, would it do the same here? Take over our city. Take over our households. Take over our state. Take over the world, Lord, that your glory would be known, that it would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We pray this for your glory, for our joy. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.